Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. All right, good morning. Good morning. That was pretty weak, but I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. My name is Vince. Um, no, I'm not going to let that go. Let's try that again. <clears throat> hey, good morning. Great. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here. Um, I want to first start off by saying thanks uh, to you all, to the elders, um, for allowing uh, me and my family to be away for two weeks. It was good for us to be together as a family, and then Kirsten and I had uh, a week together uh, as well um, with, with our network. Um, we had a, a retreat with, with the Acts 29 Church Planting Network, and I am more encouraged by what God is doing globally than, than, I've, than I've ever been. So uh, it was a good time away. Thank you. Um, if, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalms, the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 1. If you have a hard time finding the book of Psalms, you can turn to Obadiah and then turn 12 books to the front. I don't know. We always start in Psalms, right? And then find it from there. So 12 books to the front from Obadiah. Um, as a church, if you've been around for any length of time at all, as a church, you know that we gather on Sundays to, to read the Word of God together, to sing the, the Word of God together, to, to pray in accordance with what the Word of God says for, for the hope, singing the Word of God, God together for the hope of, uh, of living out the Word of God together. So the Word of God is foundational to who we are as a church. And I would just say the Word of God is foundational to who we are as Christians, the church. If it's not, then we're in the wrong direction. And so the way that we have chosen to work that out practically as a church is to pick a book of the Bible, start at the beginning, and then study all the way through the book. So, for instance, last week we, we uh, or la- last year we, we ended the book of, of Mark, we worked through that, spent a year in that, and then we jumped into the book of Ecclesiastes, and then uh, in, in a month or so we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians. So that, that's just how we as a church have decided to, to work through Scripture. And there are times, though, however, that, that there, there are gaps in, 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 in between series that are not long enough to cover an entire book of the Bible. So, so we have four or five weeks until we start Ephesians, and that's not long enough to cover an entire book of the Bible. And so some would say, well, then why don't you do a topical series on, on finances or on marriage or on, on car repair or lawn games or what, whatever that is? Why don't you do a topical series in that? And, and, and there's nothing wrong uh, necessarily with, with topical series, but we as a church appreciate working through the flow of Scripture and trusting God to teach us in that flow. Does that make sense? And so that's how we work through Scripture. There are passages in Scripture that, that are difficult to understand and at times difficult to hear. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult knowing that God does ha- actually have standards, that, that, that God wants us uh, to have ways in, in which we live out those standards, and it's difficult to hear that those standards are in opposition to the worldly standards that we have set up, our, our selfish desires that, that we have set up. That's difficult to hear. At, at times. 
And so the temptation for someone like me who doesn't have any friends to begin with is to go around those issues and and do something else. But when we're going through a book of the Bible verse by verse at at a time, God doesn't allow for that. We we hit these things and we can't, can't avoid them. Does that make sense? And so that's what we do. We've, we've decided to allow God to make the decisions about uh, what, what we talk about and when we talk about them, when we walk through books of the Bible in their natural flow. Now again, there, there's a time and a place for, for taking some time to, to work through something practically or, or work through something like that. But, but, but every Tuesday morning, I sit down in my office and I study and write, and, and I study, I get to study and write what's next in, in the flow of Scripture. And that's a beautiful thing for me. That, that's difficult at times. Uh, but, but if we believe that God is sovereign over all things, and we do believe that God is sovereign over all things because he is sovereign all things then, over all things, then we believe that, that he has his sovereign hand over what we will study together as a church and how he will seek to grow and mature us to be more like his son Jesus. He has a plan in place for how he wants us to walk toward repentance and, and toward a belief in the gospel. Now, that being said, like I said before, there are times when we have gaps between our series that aren't long enough to cover an entire book. So, for instance, we're going to start Ephesians next, but we wanted to start Ephesians when the bulk of our people were here. And the summer is just not that time, right? You, you go off for vacation, schools ended, and, and we wanted to start Ephesians at a time where, where the bulk of our people were here because especially the very beginning of that book is theologically weighty, and we've got a lot of work to do there in the beginning, and so we wanted our people to, to, to be here. And so what we've decided to do as a church, as a, as a staff, as elders, is we've decided to work through the next five weeks through, through the Psalms. Not all of them. Um, we're going to do one psalm at a time. And then throughout the years, as we have gaps between series, we're just going to pick up where we left off. And so hang with me. This is math. We have five weeks. We're going to do five psalms. And so we're just going to work through it that way. And, and maybe it'll take us 150 years to do that. But, but that's what we have planned to do. All right? So... We're going to jump into the book of Psalms, but to do that, I think we need some introduction. I think we need some, some, some info about how this book has, has come together. And so let me just ask this question. What often comes to mind when you think about the book of Psalms? What, what often comes to mind for you? Often, for, for some, what comes to mind is those single, standalone verses that make cutesy greeting cards. Right? They're good to have, so you can have the, the greeting card business would be obsolete without the book of Psalms, right? And so we, we do that, or, or maybe we, we, we have these colorful posters that we have in our house uh, uh, for decorations with, with a psalm on it that, that's encouraging. Or maybe for, for you, when you think about the book of Psalms, you, you think about, oh, that's a book that I can go to when I want to read the Bible, but I want to be encouraged and not challenged. I'll go there. Or, or maybe for you, you, you go to the book of Psalms to find uh, justification for your anger towards your so-called enemies, right? I'm going to kill somebody and I'm going to go find some justification for it. So I'm going to the Psalms, right? So, so maybe that's what you do. Or maybe you go to the book of Psalms for justification in, 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 in dancing or clapping or banging around on cymbals, right? So maybe that's what you, you do. And, and the book of Psalms, just, just to be really straightforward, it is so much more, I think, than what we've, what we've made it to be. These cutesy little helpful, encouraging um, phrases that we've put into our lives to, to fit our circumstances. So much more than that. 
So before we jump into Psalm 1, let's do a little work about the book in general. I want want to talk about the structure. I want to talk about the different genres represented. I want to talk about the purpose of the book of Psalms. So when we think about the structure of the book, when we look at the book of Psalms, we see 150 individually wrapped Psalms, don't we? We, we, we don't, we don't know where our, we, we, we do know where our favorites are. Like we know Psalm 23, that when I'm walking through the shadow of the valley of death, that, that's one. Uh, Psalm 139, I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. Uh, we know that one. And so we know where our favorite Psalms are. And we know um, that we all will get a little bit of a chuckle when we make some joke about memorizing Psalm 119, right? That's inside Christian humor that we all chuckle about, right? And so, so we do that. But, but is there structure to the book of Psalms? Is there structure to the book of Psalms? That's a difficult question to answer. If you'll notice, look at, look at the very beginning of, of the book. Right above or right below it's the Psalms, it, it says book one, book one. And the reason it does that is because there are five divisions or five books within the book of Psalms, this collection of Psalms. Now, there's a debate, and it's a very riveting debate, about who organized these uh, divisions in the book of Psalms, if those divisions mean anything at all. So if you've got some time to kill while you're watching paint dry, we can work through those debates all right, together. But, but here's the common understanding uh, about each of those five divisions, is that it represents uh, one of the five books of the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible, the, the, the law. So those, those five divisions, the five books in Psalms, represents each of the books of the law. So, so you'll notice that if you read through the, the final psalm of each book, that there is a blessing to finish out each book. You, you can do that on your own time, but Psalm 41, it's the very end of, the book, of book one. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. And that kind of blessing is at the end of each of the books that we have compiled. Psalm 72, Psalm 89, Psalm 106. All of those have a blessing at the end. The, the book of Psalms or, or the collection of Psalms has been written by a number of different authors spanning a number of different years, spanning a number of different cultural settings. And, and each Psalm is an individual or complete thought. So you don't read one and then try to figure out how that connects to the second one. It's not a a book with chapters. These are usually poems or or songs or or prayers that are an individual thought, individual psalms, not consecutive chapters. It's kind of like, I was thinking about how to to describe that this week. It's kind of like um, the Bone Shaker. Has anybody seen these before? These are are journals that have been published here here locally, actually. Um, and, And it's a bicycling almanac. It's a bicycling almanac, a collection of essays, of poems, stories from different authors about the common theme of cycling. It's about the common theme of cycling. And so that's what the book of Psalms is. It's from different authors, from different areas of the world, all compiled to write about one theme, about one theme. Now, as an aside, I want to give you some instruction so I don't get angry. Okay, here's my instruction. The book of the Bible is called Psalms, plural. Today we are looking at Psalm, singular, one. If I hear anybody say Psalms one, I'm going to get angry, right? It's singular, Psalm one. The book is the Psalms. That's free. All right, so let's move on. What's the the genre of the book? 
right? Uh, is, this, is the collection of psalms like, like the bone shaker? Is it just like a, a journal? Does it have poetry and instruction and technical writings and stories? Is it just a collection? Does the book of Psalms have, have several different genres? Well, let me answer those questions simply. Yes and, and no. No, in that the, the, each psalm is poetry. Each psalm is a song. Each psalm is a prayer from the people of God, the people of Israel. But, but yes, there are different genres in that there are 150 different psalms and, and there are many different forms of communication. Each, each is a poem or a song or a prayer, but they're written differently to communicate different things. So there's psalms of praise, praising God for who he is, praising God for being perfect in all of his attributes. There are psalms to communicate a, a deep sense of pleading with God, to, to save, to rescue, to help. There are psalms of protest. Psalms are, are written to show that this contrast of, of how God acted in the past and why, God, are you not acting like that now? There's these, these psalms of, of protest where, we, where, where the, the writer shows his anger or shows his frustration about how, how the enemies are succeeding. God, you, you saved us then. Why not now? There's, there's this pleading. There are psalms of trust, communicating deep trust before God because he's good. There are psalms of obedience, communicating how a full and pleasing life with God is one that's living in obedience to him. There are many different ways of communicating represented in the 150 psalms that we have in our Bible. And isn't that representative of life? Aren't there different ways that we express our emotions and communicate differently about how life hits us in in different ways don't our emotions travel in and out from one emotion to the next aren't there times when when we want to rejoice and at the same time aren't there times when we want to plead for help and, and aren't there times when we want to express gratitude and aren't there times when we get frustrated and angry about life's circumstances This is exactly why we so often run to the Psalms when our emotions peak. Joy or sorrow, our emotions peak, we run to the Psalms because we can relate with what the author has to say about our emotions. And so what's the purpose of the book? Why has God God given us these Psalms? Why did God uh, seek to preserve 150 Psalms for us? What's the purpose of, of this book? In large part, uh, the Psalms point our attention to God. They inform and they instruct us about God, his relationship with his people and our relationship with him. But the Psalms do, do more than that. John Calvin, a theologian of the 1500s, said that the, the Psalms are like a mirror to our emotions. They're like a mirror to our emotions. When we read the Psalms, we learn about God, but we also learn about ourselves. Our emotions are reflected in the Psalms. Another author I read this past week believes that the purpose of the Psalms is to teach us to pray and at the same time showing us how to pray, showing us how to pray. The Psalms are these confessions of belief about God and the state of humans in light of God. The writers of the Psalms teach us how we should pray, but the writers also show us how to pray. So it's not an instruction manual about how to praise God or how to pray, but, but it's showing us how to do these things in, in written form. So, so an example, I could sit down with my 
sons and I could teach them sentence structure and I could teach them rules about punctuation and I could teach them how, how to form paragraphs and I could sit down with each of my boys and I could teach them grammar real good and I could show them how to read a passage from, uh, from the Bible and I could uh, show them how to learn the original languages of, of the scripture. And I could give them ways that they could then figure out how, how to form an argument that then springs from the text. I, I could give them tips about how to speak well in front of a crowd. I could fill them in on all of my well, well-skilled and, and, and well-tuned skill of, of perfect uh, perfect timing in my jokes and I could I could do all of these things right or or I could give them 150 sermons that I've written as examples for them to read as the spirit of God works in their hearts to reveal the truth of the word to them do you see the difference that that's the psalms they're not an, it's not an instruction on how to pray. It's a reflection of how others have prayed in, in the midst of the same kinds of things that we wrestle with on and on and on. There's a time for both, right? But, but the Psalms, in the Psalms, we learn how to pray, how to approach God, not, not solely from instruction, but mostly from, from experiencing the joys and the pains of, of the writers. We feel their agony. We, we feel their joy. We sense their gratitude before God. We, we read of the praises of, of a trustworthy and almighty God, and, and, and we model that. The Psalms are, are the real and raw words of God's followers in light of who He is. The Psalms are the real and raw words uh, about God in light of who He is. One author says so beautifully, the Psalms do not document so much the people seeking of God as it does their responding to God's seeking of them. That's what the Psalms reveal. How, how has God sought you? Their words are real and they're passionate and they're raw and at times we read through the Psalms and we wonder, have you wondered this? Can you actually say that to God? Can, can, you, can you say those kinds of, of things to, to God? Can you talk about how you feel like God's abandoned you to, to God? Can you say that to God? Can you talk to God about your frustrations and, and the way that, that you feel he's dealt with you? Can, can you say those things to God? The, the Psalms have, have been written for us so that we know how to pray and so that we know how to worship God. The Psalms have been written, 150 of them ha, have been incorporated into the scriptures, the God-breathed scriptures. Have you thought about that? We, we read through some of these Psalms, we're like, can you say that? But God in his wisdom has, has given us the, these psalms for us to read and, and know Him. God has preserved these psalms for us, which should show us then that we have 150 examples of things that we can say to God. It's 150 things that we, we can say to God. And so as you read through the psalms, it's helpful to know and to understand what kind of psalm it is. You need to know what kind of psalm it is and the purpose of, of that psalm. There, there are times when there are different types of communication that, that are overlapping. But again, isn't that life? Isn't that life? So you have this life under an almighty God. And, 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 and we're drawn to praise Him. And, and there are times then that we're also drawn to plead with God. 
And, and there are times when we're drawn to give thanks. And there are times when we're drawn to trust more deeply. And there are times when we want to protest. And, and, and we can enter this circle, this spiral at, at any place and, and see the ways that God is moving us from one to the, to the next. You see that? We can't just hang out and protest. We can't just read the protest psalms and get angry and angry and, and more angry with, with God. No, that's got to shoot us then into an understanding of who God is so that there's thanksgiving, so that there's praising, and, and so, so that there's o- obedience. The psalms invite us in to see and experience God with community. I want you to hear that well. Often we take our Bibles, maybe we just take our little book of Psalms and we go sit next to a tree in the mountains so that we can commune with God alone. The Psalms are written so that we can gather with the community of God and worship Him together. Together. Not in isolation, but with the people of God for the ultimate purpose of worshiping God. And so for, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at, at a few psalms together for the purpose of seeing and experiencing God together for the ultimate purpose of worshiping God. And, and we may land in this spiral at, at different places, being shot off into a different direction of worship of God. And so this morning, we begin with Psalm 1. We begin with Psalm 1. In many ways, this is the introduction to the Psalter or, or the collection of Psalms. Many, many believe it's, it's not a song. Psalm 1 is not a, a song, but an introduction. Psalm 1 ha- has been called the, the main entrance to the mansion of the Psalter. Let's read Psalm 1, and then we're just going to briefly talk about, about how, we can, how we can look at this together. Let's read Psalm 1. Look at, look at Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. It says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, that's the introduction to the collection of psalms that we have. And what we see in this psalm is that those who desire to worship God in, in prayer and in song, those who desire to genuinely worship the Almighty God, must accept and embrace and obey and live out His instruction. Those things go together. They must. We can't have this desire to worship God but not live under the things that he's, he's called us to. Those things go together. The worship of God in song and in prayer must be informed by the truth of who God is and the things about God. If it's not, it's not the, the true and right worship of God. It's something different altogether. That's what we see in Psalm 1. Here's what we see. Big picture. Let me just tell you what it is. There are two ways of life. Two There are two ways of life. We see that in Psalm 1. There are two ways, and I think that's something our culture desperately needs to hear, right? There are two ways of life. There does not exist, hear that? There does not exist the option to choose from a list of many ways of how you're going to live your life. There are two. There are two. Two ways of life. There's the way of the wicked, and there's the way of the righteous, 
And so how does Psalm 1 start? It starts by saying, blessed is the man. And then it goes on to, to show us this. Blessed is the man who does not do the following things, who does not act in wicked ways, who does not uh, act like the wicked, the man who does not follow God. And the writer gives us then three postures that we see of this man, walking, standing, and sitting. He says first uh, about walking, there's this way of life where a person will walk in the counsel of the wicked. Throughout the Psalms and in so many other places in Scripture, this idea of walking brings along with it the idea of a conscious choice about how you're going to live. So, So you're walking in these things. You're choosing it intentionally. Paul tells us these kinds of things all over his letters. He says, walk in newness of life. Romans 6, he says, walk not according to the flesh, Romans 8, he says, walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, he, he says, we're, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2, walk as children of light, Ephesians 5, it's all over the Bible, and that's just from Paul. The idea in Psalm 1 is that there is a way of life where one chooses to walk and to live by the advice of the wicked, the the faithless, the one who is not following and worshiping God. There is a way of life that that moves in that direction. Psalm 1 continues about this way of life, that there's one way that, that people will stand in the way of sinners. And don't get this idea that, oh, you're blocking the way of sinners. No, you're standing in the way of sinners. The idea here is that the person is not simply walking in, in the way of life for a time, just checking it out, just, just toying with this idea of life to, to try to figure out if that's what they want to do, but they're standing in it. They're firmly fixed and planted and established themselves in this way of life. They're standing in it. Continuing on, there's this way of life where, where one will sit in the seat of scoffers. The, the idea there is that this person will live it out, they'll walk in it, they'll firmly plant themselves in it, in this lifestyle, and they'll sit in it. They'll sit with others who gather to talk about their, their, their godless way of life. They've consciously and intentionally to, decided to gather a group of people around them to hold a little discussion about how they're going to live out a, a life that's pleasing to them and, and not, not to God. And so that's one way of living. Psalm 1 shows us there are two ways of life. This is the first one. That's how, that's how one way of life is marked, by walking, by standing, by sitting in it. It's a conscious way of life. This person is ruled by and influenced by the world. This person is swayed by the individualistic thinking of their culture. This person is choosing to listen to the thoughts of the day and, and the thoughts of the world, not, not, not godly thoughts, but the thoughts of the world and the culture around them. They've chosen to stand in that, to sit in that, and to walk in that. That's one way of life. Now listen, friends. We're all tempted to be there, aren't we, at times? We're all tempted to be there. When the majority of our friends and when the majority of our family and when the majority of our coworkers and when the majority of the people that we've chosen to circle ourselves around all lean toward one way of life and they spew their thoughts about that way of life, it's tempting, isn't it, to join in and eventually be swayed by the ease of that life, isn't it? It's tempting. 
And so we say things like, it just seems so much more accepting this way of life. It just seems so much more accepting. And so, so for those of us who have grown up in the church or our parents have told us what we should believe about God, we feel the need then to tack God onto this conversation. And so we may even say things like, this way of life in the world seems to be so accepting. And isn't our God accepting? So shouldn't we just then put him into this worldly kind of thought and say, that's what God would want too. And it's true that God is accepting. He is accepting, but he also has standards for the way that he has called his followers to follow. That's why they're called followers. There are two ways of living. The first way of living is not blessed by God, according to Psalm 1. The first way of living ends like chaff, like dust being blown around in the wind from verse 4. The first way of living surrounds itself with with sinners and determines its way of living based on the the surrounding sinners uh, around them. And the second way of living that we see in Psalm 1 is contrasted here and picks up on, on the very first words of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who's not walking, standing, sitting with the godless, but, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the other way of life. There's a way of life that, that has chosen to come up with their own ways of thinking, their own laws to follow, and there is a way of life that delights in the ways of God. The delights in the laws of God. There's a way of life that sees self as center and the laws that we create are formed by how we want to live. And then there's a way of life that sees God as the center and the laws and the instruction he's established as the way that we ought to, to live. And the psalmist says that the person living out this way of life delights in God's law, delights in living by God's ways, delights in understanding God, not by my standards. Not by the standards that I've set up, but delights in understanding God based on God and his word. And how is that shown that this person actually delights in God's ways? How's it shown? Look at verse 2. He meditates on God's law. He chews on it. He thinks about it. He, he replays it in his mind. He's, he's constantly being washed with the word. He, he's, he's chewing on it, meditating on it. God's word, God's written way of life, chewing on that and how often? Day and night. Day and night, all the time. The filter through which this way of life is shoved is the word of God. It's the word of God, day and night, all the time, ceaselessly. Now, now think just for a minute. I want us to think just for a minute about these two ways of life. The the way of life that's influenced by the world, which leads to living more like the world, or the way of life that's influenced by God, which leads to living more like God. Here's my question. Where do you land? Where do you land? There are two ways of life. Where do you land? What is your delight? If you're having a difficult time sort of discerning where, where you land in all of this, how to answer this question, answer it based on the criteria given in Psalm 1. On um, what are you meditating day and night? What's influencing the way that you live? That sounds elementary. I, I get it, right? We're, we're all thinking that. that's really elementary. But this is where the book begins. 
It's a book showing us how to worship the Almighty God. And it begins with this. This is the entrance to the mansion of this book. Which way of life are you leaning toward? Because we're about to worship God. 150 songs and prayers long about worshiping God. And this is where it starts. There are two ways of life. The first way of living is not blessed by God. The first way of living ends like chaff, like dust being blown away. The first way of living surrounds itself with with others and determines its way of living based on their thoughts. The first way of living mentioned in Psalm 1 ends with death. Verse 6 tells us the way of the wicked will perish. The second way of living mentioned in Psalm 1, the way of life that delights in God and His ways, His words, that that person is like a tree planted with an endless water source. That that person is fruitful. It's not withering, not not being blown away by the wind. We're told in verse 3, and all that he does, he prospers. Why? Because he's doing all the right things. God rewards him. Is that why? Is Is that what he's getting at? Right? You just do all the right things and God's got, got it for you. He's, he's going he's gonna to do some good things for you. You're going you're gonna to walk away rich. You're going to walk away prospering. You're going to walk away with your selfish desires met. Is that what he's getting at? No. No. It, he, he's prospering because he's knowing more and understanding more of the God who made him. That's his delight. And so he sits in the congregation with the righteous He gathers with the people who want to worship God and he sits in the congregation with the the righteous. He, He gathers with so many who delight in the law of God. There are two ways of life. And the collection of Psalms begins by sorting this out for us because the rest of the book is a book of songs and prayers to God. Psalm 1 is the main entrance, like I said, to the mansion of the collection of the Psalms instruction for us on how to worship God. There are two ways of life, a way that delights in Him and God or a way that delights in self and worships self. Our time on this earth is about worship and our worship must be informed by God and His Word, His ways. And so throughout our time together in this collection of Psalms, here's what we must remember. We must remember that God has both called us to worship Him. It's one thing we've got to remember. We've got to remember both of these things. He's called us to worship Him. And He's provided a way for us to worship Him. He's called us to worship Him. And He's provided a way for us to worship Him through His Son, Jesus it's because of Jesus alone that we can approach the God of the universe in worship. And so we dive into a book of 150 psalms and we do that because we know Jesus has stood in our place. It's because Jesus alone that we can approach God in worship. And I want us to hear that well. As you sit down the next time to quickly check something off the list about the Psalms, you're sitting down to read a Psalm about the worship of God, and the only way that you can approach that God is because of Jesus. Without Jesus, the book of Psalms is useless. It's useless. God sent His Son to earth to live a perfect way of life. Let's push this through the grid of of Psalm 1. He's living the perfect way of life that we could never live. Jesus never walked in the way of sinners. He never stood in the way uh, of sinners. He he never sat in the seat of scoffers. Hear this through, through Psalm 1 again. Jesus walked 
perfectly in the way of his father. Jesus stood in our place. Jesus is now seated on his throne. God sent that Jesus to earth to live the perfect life that we have been called to live but cannot so that we would have then access to God so that we can worship him forever. That, that, that should bring us to delighting, shouldn't it? If we're called to delight, that should bring us to delighting. We have a God who desires our worship so much that he would send his son to live and die for us so that we could live in him and not die to worship him forever. The book of Psalms is about the worship of God and we have reason to do that, don't we? We do. And, and so we, we gather. We gather in the congregation of the righteous. Are we righteous? No, but as God looks at us, he sees us through his son, his righteous son. And so we gather in the congregation of the righteous to celebrate the finished work of Jesus. We do this weekly as we gather as friends. We, we celebrate the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Just hours before he was to stand in our place, taking on our sin and the wrath of God, the whole wrath of God, Jesus gathered with his friends, his disciples, and he broke bread with them. He shows them this picture of his body that's going to be broken and he shares wine with them and he, and he shows them this picture of his blood that's to be shed for them. And he gives them these pictures, these real images that I'm sure are connecting with their emotions, right? And he says, this, this bread is my body broken for you. And he says, this, blood, this wine is my blood shed for you. And he, and he says at the end of that, take this and eat this and drink this in, in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. And so we gather as a group of people who, who desire to worship God to do that very thing every week. So if you're here this morning as a believer, I don't, I don't care what church you've come from, or if you're passing through, or if you're here, here for the summer, or whatever that looks like, if you're a follower of Jesus, and Jesus you know is your, is your Savior, and he, he is the one who has saved you, your hope and your trust is in Him, then we'd, we'd, we'd invite you to join us in worshiping Him through this meal. And the way we do this practically together, we're going to sing some songs confessing who Jesus is, confessing that He alone is the, the, the one that we need, if we don't have Christ, we're lost. And so we're going to sing some songs confessing that together. And as we do that, we'll stand and we'll stand as the congregation of people knowing that we have a God who's worthy of worship and you can come down the aisles and take the bread and dip it in the wine or the grape juice and head back to your seats to sit with, to stand with the people of God who came to worship. And if this morning you're here and you're not a believer, you would say, no, my hope and my trust is not in Jesus alone then we would ask that you just stay right where you are. Think about the things that have been said. Think about the words that we're singing. We're, we're glad you're here and we want to continue this conversation with you. We really do. Let, let's get together and talk. I'd love to hear about your perspective on God and we'd love to, to, to share with you where, where, what our perspective is, that there's two ways of life. There's two ways of life. But if you're here this morning and, and you'd say, that, uh, that's not where I am, we'd ask that you just stay right where you are. This is a, a meal for those who have put their hope and their trust in Jesus alone. So can I pray for us, and then let's sing together, confessing together, and worshiping God together because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning knowing that you are the God above all gods. There is no God like you. There is no God like you. You are perfect in every way. You're a creator. You are holy. 
You are Redeemer through your Son, Jesus. You are Redeemer. You have called us and adopted us to be your children because of your Son. You are a God who is worthy of worship. You are. We confess that. You are that God. And this morning we also confess that we are a sinful people. We are not the congregation of the righteous because we have chosen to be righteous. We are the congregation of the righteous because of Jesus who stood in our place, the perfect and righteous one stood in our place. And as you look at us, you see us as righteous, but but we're sinners and we need a Savior and that Savior is Jesus. And so for those in this room who, who believe that that's true, I pray that you would increase our affection for our Savior. I pray that you would increase our desire to have attention toward you. That our delight would be in your ways, morning and evening. That our delight would be in your ways. And for those in this room this morning who who have been walking away from you and and shoving uh, you aside, I ask God that you would work very, very clearly in their hearts this morning. We plead with you that you would save. You alone are the God who saves, and so we plead that you would do that, that you, through your Spirit, would, would, would be working in the hearts of those who have resisted you, who have pushed you away. God, when you do that work, there is no pushing away. People must turn, and so I pray that you would draw people to, to turn and repent, turn from their sins and turn to you. And God, now as we worship you because of what you have done and who you are and what you've done through your son, I pray that our attention would be on you and not ourselves. We ask all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.